Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you very much indeed, Peter, and and all here for the invitation to come and and to join with you in your worship this morning and to share in that worship and to lead you in the thoughts in your series on Job. Not the uh, book of the Bible I would have chosen for my first appearance at Camp but never mind. Uh, And I think it's important that we've had that passage from the letter to the Hebrews uh, in a sense, to, to, to lighten the darkness of despair and desolation that we might otherwise have if we lingered too long in Job. Because we have the light of the radiance of God's glory in the suffering Christ who died for us on the cross. And that's the end of our story, and that will be where I get to at the end of my sermon. I think it's important that we sang those words, good people suffering who've never been bad. Because that's probably what many of us are thinking when we start to suffer, when things go wrong for us. Why do we have to put up with this? But then we are one with Job, are we not? Why didn't I perish at birth? Job's questioning, as we've heard in that passage from the third chapter, Job's questioning of suffering. I've just come back from a short break in York, As well as enjoying the city and its heritage, we took advantage of the proximity of the Royal Theatre, and my wife and I had an evening out there. The play on this last week was The Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, I'd read the the book years ago, and we have indeed visited the house in Amsterdam, where she and her family and Jewish friends were in hiding from the Nazi authorities. But somehow, this last week in York... Somehow the starkness of the set and the presence throughout of the eight characters on the stage as they acted out the humiliation and hunger, the illnesses and the rising tension of living together with diminishing resources and hopes of survival. That brought home in a more vivid way than perhaps books or even documentaries could the awful events of the Holocaust in Europe seen through the experience of these eight people on the stage. And as they burnt their yellow stars in the annex's furnace, there was an awful prefiguring of the dreadful fate that befell all but one of them as a consequence of their betrayal and the knock on the door that eventually came from the SS. And what happened to seven of them happened also to more than seven million others fellow Jews, homosexuals, gypsies, herded together, transported eastwards to the work camps that were, in reality, the ovens of death assembled in Auschwitz and Belsen and all the other factories of extermination assembled by the Nazi regime. Now, it raised for me, especially in the context of the equally awful pictures and stories coming out of Syria at this time, as they did before with Libya and Iraq. Why do good people suffer? Where is our God, their God, after the Holocaust, after the aerial bombardments and the suicide bombings? Questions, of course, which were faced equally by the generation after the horrors of the trenches in the Somme and the First World War in the Europe of a century ago. 
questions which challenged the faith of those who observed their time for God and country, as the countless war memorials remind us. Where was God in the Flanders mud? And the story of Job that you have had introduced to you last week touches us all personally because we are affected, whether by our own personal suffering or by those around us whom we know, or people far away whom we do not know, but whose suffering moves us with tears of frustration. Today's reading speaks to all who feel that their ministries have failed, that our sermons have fallen on deaf ears, that the prayers we offer are meaningless and ineffectual, that goodness is bound to be ignored or even punished, that those who profit from the miseries of others get away literally sometimes with murder. We're cast, of course, in the role of the psalmists of old who rail against a God who seems not to heed the efforts of his faithful people. Why do the wicked flourish? Why go to church when it doesn't bring us immunity from the things that afflict us, from poverty, ill health, insecurity, a thousand other worries which daily afflict us? And maybe at the end of our series, or even today, we can come to acknowledge, as Job does, God's justice and power and wisdom to proclaim these things and to show that they are, in the end, vindicated. Maybe we can be brought back to a reliance on God's grace, sovereign, unexampled grace. But first we have to face head-on the sheer force of evil and suffering that is thrown at Job, and to a far lesser extent, at us. What are the lessons that we have to learn from the experience of Job if we're not to give up on God? All Methodist sermons have three points, and they don't all go beyond 20 minutes, so stay with me. My first point is that God is sovereign over suffering. God is sovereign over suffering. It's easy to say that, uh, we, we said it, didn't we? We sang it in our hymn, uh, our song early on, Mighty to Save, Sovereign over Suffering. As we sing our so- songs proclaiming that God is all-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowing. But where and how does suffering fit into the picture? Can we accept that somehow, in a mysterious way that some of us cannot fathom, suffering does fall within God's overruling power? Of course, there's an easy way out, which many people over the centuries have taken. You become a dualist. You see the world around as a cosmic battleground, uh, as good and evil battle it out. God and Satan. All the good that happens is due to God, and all the bad to the devil. You can see this played out in many aspects of our popular culture. Yes, even in Star Wars films. And Christians who subscribe to such a philosophy will blame the burglary that they experience as a work of the devil and the ailments that afflict us as Satan's attacking our bodies. I wondered why I'd had a bad back for the last day or two, preparation for today's sermon, I think. But though it's simple enough and it's tempting enough, it leaves us with a very limited understanding of God's power. With so much evil in the world... Who knows how God will fare 
in the cosmic battle against a mighty Satan. Now that's not to discount the presence of evil in the world, but it is to challenge the notion that God has really lost control and is in the hands of his wily adversary. Though to read many of the tabloid headlines, you'd probably be excused in thinking that. The militant atheism of Dawkins and co. has rendered a credible belief in God's providence and power daily open to attack in our increasingly secularised society. God acknowledges the existence of evil and its attacks on his subjects. But he never gives up his power over evil. Yes, God, uh, Job's troubles can be attributed to the activity of Satan, as they can also to the wickedness of thieves and the randomness of viruses, robbing Job of his cattle and landing him with boils. But all this begs the question, why should a good God allow such things if he has power to stop them? The death of brave journalists exposing the evils of military assaults on Syrian cities this past month or so. The death of the victim of mindless violence shot at close blank range and deprived of his sight. Why do good people die? Strange though it seems, there are hints of hope in the darkness of such despair. For if God is good, and he is, then we can believe that there is some good reason behind whatever happens, even though at the time we probably can't see it so. And if he is all-powerful, and he is, then there is hope that he has the power to relieve our sufferings, or at least to provide us with the grace to cope with our sufferings. That's the first point. God is sovereign over suffering. Secondly, the lesson we need to learn is that God doesn't hold it against us if in our suffering we vent our feelings against him. It's a natural reaction to rail against God. And that's what Job does in chapter 3, even after refusing the chance to curse God offered in chapter 2. Job curses the day that he was born. So much suffering that he has had to endure. What's the purpose of life? So anguished that he has to blame someone. Well, we all have our scapegoats, someone to blame. The Germans in the midst of the defeat of the First World War and the depression that followed blamed the Jews. And that ended with the Holocaust. I guess we're all encouraged as pastoral visitors and carers to help people to unleash their innermost feelings, to release those pent-up emotions when a, perhaps a loved one has died or some dreadful setback has laid them low. Otherwise, we suppress our feelings, which get pushed down into the subconscious to wreak havoc at some later date with depression or some other form of mental illness. Far better to let the raw grief come out and express itself. Now, of course, we're British, and our stiff upper lip mentality is what we expect. But it cannot be justified unless as a form of misplaced etiquette to designed to enhance our social credibility. I suspect the lack of tears at funerals is a 
a worrying sign of society being in denial, particularly at Christian funerals, where our thankfulness at the passing over of the faithful into the realms of light needs to be tinged with the sadness of separation from loved ones. We all need to be given permission to grieve so that we can roll over and move forward into a recovery position. God respects that. Indeed, he approves of it. We shall see that God doesn't rebuke Job for expressing doubts or anger. But he does rebuke him for acting as if he knew more and knew better than God. And finally, we have to acknowledge that there's always an element of mystery in all suffering. Job cries out, why? Why didn't I perish at birth? Why was I not stillborn? Why is light given to those in misery? And where are the easy answers? Well, we search in vain. We may have the benefit of the glimpse into the heavenly courtroom where God and Satan are locked in combative argument like the judge and prosecuting counsel against the defendant on whose side God is always going to end up supporting. But Job doesn't know that yet. He only knows the depth of his suffering and his sorrow and his being plunged into despair, even unto death. And all, all that he has to fall back on is his faith in God. God who is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. The one who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them and has made us in his own image and loved us with a purpose beyond our imagining. The one who is a covenant God, who's always calling us back into a right relationship with him, who so loved the world that he gave us his son to redeem us all through his death on the cross. That's the God. That's the God who, who is with Job, even in the situations when he does not know why certain things are happening to him. But his faith in God isn't a blind faith. He knows enough about God to know why he has trusted God. Because God has a proven track record. Just remember the story. He saved his people from desperate situations before. He's got them across the Red Sea. He's got them through the desert and into the promised land. And yes, he brings them back from exile from Babylon. And even if he didn't get all the answers he wanted in the face of suffering that he endured, it didn't stop Job asking. Neither should it stop us. Job, you see, gives us permission to doubt, to question, to challenge, especially when the going gets really tough. Now, if we can see that there is possibly a good outcome to suffering, then it helps us to endure it better. For those who are suffering, the ravages of painful illnesses or a separation from family and friends through bereavement or many other causes, or the cruelty of others in abusive relationships, God says to them and to us, I am here, do not be afraid. So as we look forward to Passion Tide and the victory of Christ over sin and death, we can affirm beyond the story of Job 
beyond all our stories of innocent suffering, that we shall be vindicated and that virtuous and faithful living will be rewarded by the God who keeps faith with us if we keep faith with him. The one that endures to the end shall be saved. Thanks be to God. Amen.